Welcome to another episode of the Pastor Soapbox. This is Seymour Hilligar, your host. Today's topic is something that I think is pressing on my heart. And there's so many other topics that we can deal with, so many prevalent issues. But I felt it was important for us to, to look at God's Word in a succinct way about a, a principle, a truth, a rule of life that should embody everything that we do. Um, the topic, of course, is called the malpractice of a malcontented society. Uh, we will not spend as much time as that looking on the negative aspect, but that's important because this malpractice of malcontentedness is is inexcusable, but it is a natural part of, of the makeup of society, of the fabric of society. It's, it's bound in our heart. Think about this. Dissatisfaction today is on display. Global dissatisfaction is, is a predominant theme in our world today. The, the glass apparently is always half empty. And to be satisfied with a glass that is half full is insufficient. Think about this. Material progress is multiplying misery. The more we gain is the more we complain. The more we gain is the more we complain. We have advanced technologically. We have advanced in the field of medicine. We have advanced in, in our global reach. And yet, the eye is never satisfied. Material progress is multiplying misery. Add to this, the more we make, the more we crave. This, this insatiable hunger for more, always wanting more, this sense of restlessness for more, in fact, will always be there until the soul has been brought to a place of satisfaction and salvation. But for now, we're all a part of this world's striving for satisfaction. And because one of the fundamental problems within our society is this general lack of contentment. And because we live in this world, because we're still dealing with sin, it is a problem for us as followers of Christ. But we, are, we need to understand what contentment means. And I do believe that Jeremiah Burroughs, who preached a series of sermons on this many years ago, I think his definition is a good starting ground before we look into the, the, the clear and, I would say, marvelous and concise explanation from Philippians chapter 4, which is probably one of the chief passages when it comes to that. He says that Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise counsel and fatherly disposal in every condition. So a sweet, inward, quiet. So someone that, something that is within us, because we can display contentment for season when things are going well. But to have this inward work is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a gracious, quiet frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now, let's look at the contrast because we, we did say that the topic here is the malpractice of a malcontented society because we really don't have any reason to uh, be discontented, but we are. We have no reason to be dissatisfied, but we are because 
We're sinfully craving what we ought not to, and true satisfaction only comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. But some fruits of discontentment uh, could be uh, temperamental thanksgiving, even for the Christian, especially so for the believer. Temperamental thanksgiving is that your thanksgiving to God is, is conditional. It's not rooted in a person. It's rooted in activity. Uh, it's not rooted in, in Christ. It's, it's rooted in circumstances. And so that's a fruit of discontentment. If you cannot be uh, truly thankful in every circumstance, then you are showing seeds of discontentment's fruit. Now, this doesn't mean that the, the Christian ought not to pray to God when we're in distress. The psalmist did. But at, even at the end of your petitions to be relieved, as Paul also prayed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you still submit to the wise counsel of the Father. You submit to the will of God. And you do so with a sense uh, of humility and gratitude. Now, another sign of, of uh, discontentment's fruit is chronic complaining. Uh, you know, as we look at uh, Philippians chapter 4, we'll see that uh, verses 11 through 13, where uh, the principles of contentment are illustrated. Earlier in, in uh, Philippians, uh, it was an encouragement to the saints uh, in chapter 2. Uh, of Philippians and verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. And that is verse 15 of Philippians 2, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Uh, so then the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Another fruit of discontentment, not only do you have chronic complaining, temperamental thanksgiving, but divisive disharmony. The disharmony, this, the, the disagreement becomes divisive. That's a fruit of discontentment. Because if you're satisfied with Christ, who, who has united us to himself and to the Father, he's reconciled us to the Father, you will not pursue divisive disharmony, but you will pursue harmony in all things. And in the, the fourth chapter, verse 2, Iodian Syntyche were entreated to agree in the Lord. Pursue harmony, and you will pursue harmony and true biblical unity when Christ is both the object of your affections and the joy of your life. Now, some evidence of contentment could be these three of them I have. There's more, but just three as we start this out. First of all, it's rejoicing in every circumstance. Rejoicing in every circumstance. Uh, that was clearly illustrated in chapter 1 of Philippians, where uh, the apostle Paul rejoiced that the good news, the, the message, the proclamation, the declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for guilty sinners, the sinless Savior, for sinful sinners who turn from this and trust in him. Paul rejoiced that even those who had mixed motives, in other words, their motives were impure, uh, not not for the glory of Christ, but to afflict the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Even though they preached the gospel under those types of pretenses, he still rejoiced. So that's an evidence of contentment. Because why? Because Christ is being proclaimed. If the object is Christ and the joy is Christ, if Christ is being proclaimed, then you can be content uh, even in those circumstances. Another one is reaching out to serve others. And you reach out to serve others, even if it costs you something. Because it reminds you of Christ. Christ gave up himself. He offered his life up as a ransom for many. Christ, who was the just, died for the unjust. And so 
uh, an evidence of contentment is to see Christ at the very heart and core of what you do. And then later in chapter 2, verses 19 through, 20, 19 through 30, you will see the example of, of two men reaching out to serve others. One, Timothy, the other is uh, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus sacrificed his life almost to the point of death. And he was so sick that he didn't even want the congregation in Philippi to know he was sick. He became concerned that they found out that he nearly died because he didn't want it to be a burden to them. That is truly reaching out. And that is evidence of contentment because Christ is the source of your contentment. Another evidence of contentment is to regard and live according to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. So the regarding means that you have that in mind. That is always your, your reference point for everything that you do. And then you live according to that. Your responses in life are according to the ultimate sacrifice that Christ paid so that guilty sinners who trust in his finished work and turn from their wicked ways and from their sin and from their guilt and trust in his work alone uh, receive a forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Well, now, what does God have to say about cultivating contentment? Uh, because uh, Philippians chapter 4 and I do pray that you turn into the scriptures as we go through this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 actually takes us through a life experience into the school of Christ. How uh, does God use our experiences, our circumstances, and places them in a school of Christ to refine us, to purify us, and to also sharpen this great jewel of contentment in our eyes. Contentment is always a beautiful jewel because it comes from God. But our angle and our view of contentment is not what it ought to be. The spiritual training is so that we may see the beauty of contentment and then cherish and cultivate it uh, in our own lives. Now, of course, the immediate context in Philippians 4 is thanksgiving to God for the generosity of the believers in Philippi. And also, the Apostle Paul is commending them for their gifts. Now, at the end, near the end, he wants him to realize the blessing that uh, this gift is in the presence of God. But he wants him to understand something critical, that their gifts are in no way, shape, or form affecting his resolve in life. There's his resolve in life uh, that nothing stimulates uh, his contentment but Christ himself. And so that's the lesson that he will teach from his life, uh, from his heart and life to the believers in Philippi, but also something that is timeless for us today, that nothing stimulates the joy of Christian contentment than knowing that Christ is the object of all that we do. Now, I want to offer you three principles to keep things uh, pretty straightforward. I've been giving you uh, points in three, so let's just keep that going. Uh, the first principle is this. The mission in God's school is contentment. The mission in God's school, this school of training in Philippians chapter 4 is contentment. And you find it in verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. The idea of learning, uh, uh, the meaning is, is uh, that it's, coming to know through providential life experiences. That's the fundamental sense that you have here. Of course, many of those experiences were shocking for the Apostle Paul. He went through quite a bit, near-death experiences, shipwrecked, beaten several times, left for dead. 
And then this deep care for the church is something else that he mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But through those providential life experiences in the hand of God, even the hardships of ministry where God sovereignly closed doors as he was on the trail doing the work of God, through them God shaped his character. And through them God developed in him a true sense of Christian contentment or the appreciation for this great jewel that, that is given to every Christian, we have to go to the school of contentment to learn how to evaluate contentment, value contentment, and put it into practice. Now, the idea of contentment, too, in verse 11, that's important. It is a sense of independence. It's to have a sense of independence. Uh, for example, it was applied to countries who are not dependent on other countries for their safety or their well-being. Another sense has to do with self-sufficiency when you think of contentment. So each sense from the literal meaning, uh, this idea of self-sufficiency or this independence from other countries for, for help, for sustenance, it gives you a sense of the magnitude of contentment with Christ. So when you live that way with contentment, you live unmoved by material possessions or this world's comfort. In other words, you're not dependent on them and you're self-sufficient without them. And the self-sufficiency here in this text has to do with Christ being all-sufficient. Christ being all-sufficient. And so the school of Christ is is a lesson on, on more of the Savior, who, who, who is now your life. and It is a lesson on less of the world. You're no longer attached to the principles and the allurements in this world. You're holding fast to the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all things and through all things. That is Christ's school of learning. And, and that is the mission in God's school. It is to teach us to be content only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, D.A. Carson writes, contentment in the Christian perspective must never be confused with mere stoicism, proud self-denial, determined self-sufficiency, or condescending aloofness. Rather, it is a product of knowing Christ so well and trusting him so fully that the vicissitudes, or you can say the changes of life, no matter how dire, cannot hold a candle to the joy of steadfastly trusting our heavenly Father. And that is so true. And that is the mission in God's school of contentment according to Philippians chapter 4. It is that there's a joy of trusting our Heavenly Father and knowing Christ deeply and profoundly. So the mission in God's school is contentment. The second principle is this. The method God chooses are the trials in life. The method God chooses are the trials in life. Verse 12 it says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now here, the idea of uh, the lowliness is actually a passive activity. It's a passive sense more than activity. It's a passive sense, which means that this is something that God brings you to. Um, this is what God does. It is a place of humiliation. A very similar term is used where Christ humbled himself in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. But in this case, there are times when God humbles us. And in this instance, the humbling process is necessary for training in Christian contentment. The humbling is necessary for training in Christian contentment. 
So God uses these circumstances that will produce his intended good. And his intended good is that we see this rare jewel shining in all of its beauty and be drawn to it and drawn to the grace of contentment. And uh, we, we acquire this because it's God's gift, but then we apply it as God's rich gift to us. Uh, it was, once again, Jeremiah Burroughs who said, if a man is to be free from discontent and worry, it is not enough merely it is not enough merely not to murmur, but you must be active in sanctifying God's name in the affliction. So now added to that, you have been brought to this place. And if you've been brought to this place, you give God thanks because you know that through this, God can mature you, but also he can be glorified through it. That is something else that you think about the Apostle Paul and uh, what he uh, had to come to grips with as he was in prison is that there's progress being made. In other words, through my imprisonment, the gospel is advancing and possibly advancing in greater ways than had I been free as an apostle to preach the word of God. And we have to take on the same attitude that through this, my, my love for Christ, my maturity in spiritual things can be greater than if I were to live in the lap of luxury because God is using this. And so I must glorify his name uh, through this process. Something else in this verse that is, I think, uh, good for us to recognize. And he says that he has learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Of course, this of secret is not excluding anyone. Every fall of Christ, in fact, this is so true, every fall of Christ is automatically signed up by virtue of their citizenship to the school of contentment. Every, every fall of Christ is. Now, you know, as with any class, you have a variety of students in the classroom. Some are really interested in the class. The topic appeals to them. Others uh, don't feel as compelled to pay attention in the class. So they don't see their life circumstances the way that they should. And then the others, who they just, they just want to get by. They just want to pass. So they're not going to really memorize anything. They're not going to really see their circumstances, the providence of God. They're not going to learn the attributes of God as they should. And so there's a sense in which their progress is, is not as fruitful. So as in the classroom, you have A students, and they're not A students because they're smart. They're A students because they work hard. They apply the truth to their lives, and you have other students who just want to get by. But the student who applies him or herself in this class will glorify the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because they know that God uses trials in this life, hardships in this life, even as we're facing this season in our lives, so that we can learn the secret to contentment. Now, by way of result, what, what is that going to do according to verse 12? What, well, true contentment, according to verse 12, will glorify God. True contentment will give God the praise. It will rejoice as Paul did. It will give thanks. So if you're visibly content, but inwardly you fail the test, you're not going to really give thanks from the heart. That is not the class of Christ. His class transforms your inner man and affects your conduct. And here, the only way contentment finds its purest sense, and the only time it is refined and the dross is removed, and the dross of our sin mars the beauty of this contentment, 
The only time this dross is removed is through trials. God uses the trials to impress upon us the beauty and the majesty of this precious jewel of contentment. And so God's methods are hard times, trials, difficult times. And these times stretch us. They are hard for us. They press us. But through them, God teaches us. And he uses those trials to show us the beauty of Christian contentment. And so the mission in God's school is contentment. The method God chooses are the trials in life. But I want to look at one more. As we evaluate this world around us, and it is so easy to complain. Maybe you're facing a very difficult trial, a loss of a family member, loss of friends. There have been plenty of those going on. Uh, the, the almost senseless hatred that we see in the news, the confusion in the news. Let us go to the clarity of God's word. If you, if you want good, objective news, is in the scripture. The news on television, just about every network is subjective. They have an agenda, but God's agenda is pure and it is holy, it is marvelous, it is glorious, so that his name may be praised in all of his greatness because it is right that his name is praised. It is so that sinners who are, who are conformed into his image through the Lord Jesus Christ by virtue of Christ's work for them can receive the joy and the pleasure of knowing God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go to a third one here to help encourage us. Now, this is the news that we ought to fix our attention on. And thirdly, it is that the motive God imparts to you is Christ. This is another principle. The third principle is that the motive God imparts to you is Christ. So the mission in God's school is contentment. The method is are the trials of life. The motive God imparts to you is Christ. What does that mean in verse 13? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, well, how do you know your contentment is from God? It is when Christ is the end goal. I mean, you can actually say that verses 11 through 13, uh, that Christ is the subject and the object of contentment. Now, when you think about this verse, it is used quite often in a good uh, majority of the times it's out of context. Uh, this is not the power to pass the exam, although you should pray to God to help you to do well, that you do to all of his glory and praise. The power is not to win a sporting event. To do all things through Christ is a reference to what you learn. The end of the class is verse 13. The end of the class is to say that it is in the power of God or the power of Christ I endure. It is through the power of Christ that I endure with joy, that I endure with thanksgiving the afflictions in life. Now, you can say that verse 13, therefore, is a summary for verses 11 and 12. And I believe that in a sense it declares that the motive is for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so that Christ would receive all the honor and glory. It is through him I accomplish these things. It is in his name that I do this. It is for his exalted name that I do this. It is so that the risen Christ may be highly exalted in your life through the circumstances. Through the circumstances, not without them, but through them and in them. So at the end of 
all of these travails of life and hardships, whatever you do and whatever faces you in life, from the perils and through the perils, Christ and his majesty will shine ever so brightly. And so this is one of the key tenets of our Christian faith that we are displayed to the world. We are undisplayed to the world. We are adorning the gospel. And we adorn the gospel so well when through suffering we give praise and thanksgiving to God. When we are at a disadvantage, we give praise to God. When we're being persecuted, we give praise to God. That our contentment is not in the changes in our local laws, but our contentment is that the law of God that once testified against us and accused us, that God condemned our sin through the body of his son, Jesus Christ, and and our a Savior Jesus Christ fulfilled the righteous requirements of God's holy and just law against us. Now that we're saved, we give glory to God. We magnify the Savior. We live for the Savior. Therefore, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. The power we have in Christ to live under the variables in this life Yes, the inequities in this life, the imbalances in this life, that God will use poverty, shipwreck, the highs and the lows in life, having much, having none at all, the extreme impoverished conditions. And it is through Christ, not the instability of life, that you can live a life of true Christian contentment. That is glorious. Let us conclude with at least uh, three implications to consider and apply. And how do we win the fight against this malcontent attitude, this, this dissatisfaction? Well, first of all, let me encourage you to learn how to wean yourself from happenstance. The inner man must be totally given over to Christ and content in him alone. And when the inner man dies to circumstantial happiness, when we sanctify Christ as Lord and and he's our joy, our satisfaction, our hope, our peace, our life, you will rejoice in every circumstance except that which is sinful. Learn how to wean yourself from happenstance. Uh, Secondly, let me encourage you to learn to live with the circumstances God gives to you. Learn to live with the circumstances God gives you. In that moment, it's nothing wrong with praying that God will graciously relieve it from you. But if it's his will, that you remain in it and remain thankful, joyful, and learn how to use that circumstance as a platform, uh, as a way to declare how God has had mercy on you Uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how you live with it. You don't live with it by tolerating it, uh, uh, by seclusion or withdrawing yourself, but by being bold in the gospel, giving thanks to God, even in those moments 
as we visited a, a precious sister in the Lord and her husband, and she's dying of cancer. And she's speaking of the joys of seeing her Savior. She's using that circumstance to prepare herself to see the Lord, but also to prepare her husband for that day. And he too cannot wait to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Learning to live with the circumstances is not tolerance. It is to truly use that moment to make the most out of the Lord Jesus Christ, to magnify him, to adore him, to worship him, to let the world know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thirdly, learn to love Christ in every circumstances. Love to Learn to love Christ in every circumstance, that is. Learn to love Christ in every circumstance. That no matter what happens, that your love for Christ is unchanged. It is not based on how well you feel or how the events in life turn out. But that true contentment is that Christ is my life. It's beautiful. You, you can say that I am his. Yeah, that's true. But, but he is mine. I have Christ. And Christ is indeed all I need. Now, if you do not know Christ and you happen to listen to this podcast, there's no peace for you. There's no contentment. True contentment will always escape you. You will drift from relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage, from one career to another, from one hobby to another, from one toy to another. And in the end, if you remain in your rebellion, you will realize after you die that you were created to find contentment only in one person, and that is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I do pray today that God will open your heart to see that as a guilty sinner, you can never enjoy life until you turn from your sin, having a change of mind, and to change your course of life by the power of God and trust in Christ alone for forgiveness of sin and salvation. Only through the sacrifice of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, can you or anyone else be content in this malcontented world. I'm your host, Seymour Heligar, but above all, I am the slave of a most gracious master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Pastor's Soapbox.